Hello, everyone, and welcome to C-View Quantum Network. I'm your presenter, Daniel, and I'm here with producer Claudia Pareco. Our opening song features Sunset Serenade by Cyclone. Albums and singles are available in all music stores and platforms. A Moment of Your Time is one of the most extraordinary gifts we could ever be given. Each week, we create a place for you to rest your heart by providing the platform for peaceable connection to the most gifted lightworkers, intuitives, alternative healers who will surprise you with something different, something outside of what's expected, innovative and unique. Our shows are held on Fridays at 12 p.m. Eastern U.S. time and 9 a.m. Pacific time. At any moment to participate on our shows, please call 805-830-8344 and press 1 to talk with the host. Take My Call. At any moment before or during the show, you can opt for Take My Call and jump the long line of callers. We are now following the pay-what-you-can business model. You pay what you feel our services are worth to you. You can send a payment using paypal.me slash p-u-r-e-c-o and add the amount that you want. To request a show, please write to Claudia Pareco at cview1111 at gmail.com or visit our website cview1111.net Now, close your eyes and get in touch with the present, the only reality. Feel your body, feel your breath, and let it drift back to the present moment. Joining us is Dr. Jeff Torrent, a renowned neuropsychologist and the author of the groundbreaking book, Becoming Psychic, Lessons from the Mind of Medium, Healers, and Psychic. Dr. Torrent's journey from hardcore skeptic to advocate for the paranormal is nothing short of remarkable, and his insights promise to unlock the mysteries of the mind in ways you've never imagined. So reflecting Dr. Trend on our shared background in psychology, I'm intrigued by the idea that our journeys into the paranormal may have started with a bit more openness than traditional skeptics, and you will let me know if that's true for you. Could you share, Doctor, and welcome to see you. Could you share um, a pivotal moment from your personal journey that initially challenged your skepticism and ignited your fascination with the paranormal? Because for me, as a salute psychologist, our path into the extraordinary world might have a unique perspective, and I'm eager to hear your side of the story. And welcome to CBO. We are so excited to have you here. 
Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks, Claudia, and thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, being invited. And uh, yeah, you know, the journey is an interesting part of the process, right? Um, and you know, I, I think for me, uh, you're right. When I was a young child, I was I was very open to all of these things and very interested in this. And at some point, that shifted. I think largely as I became more engrossed in my studies as a psychologist and really started doubting that this stuff was actually true, that it was probably just, you know, imagination or wishful thinking or some sort of psychological process that was happening. Um, but I was, but I, I kind of always wanted it to be true, you know, kind of like the X-Files thing, you know, I, I want to believe. Um, but I just, you know, I wasn't convinced, you know, so I was always very skeptical, um, you know, from that point forward. But then, you know, some of the things that I think really got my attention early on was, you know, when I started practicing Qigong and started feeling the energy, feeling the Qi moving through my body, moving around me. And my, my first teacher, my first Qigong teacher was very much into more shamanic work and energy healing work. And so he, he kind of brought that in to our Qigong teaching. And so I started having these experiences for myself that were <laughs> unusual, right? And couldn't really be explained easily by science. And so I, I think that was the first, the first piece that really started shifting my awareness that, okay, wait a minute, there's something more going on here that, you know, we don't fully understand. You know, after that experience, there's been many, many, many other experiences uh, but I feel like it's been a journey of having some sort of an experience, opening my mind and my heart, but then as time goes on, kind of doubting it again, and then something else happens and kind of opening up and then doubting again. So I feel like it's been a journey of kind of continually kind of reminding myself that there are these other aspects of reality that we don't normally see or have access to. Yeah, and I can, I can understand that myself because, uh, just like you said, it is such an intriguing world. But every time we get in contact with these things that we cannot explain with the mind, it's almost like all of the barriers that the mind has that prepare us, uh, you know, all of these good explanations, logical explanations that we have, to deal with life, they just crumble. Whenever you have the experience, like the ones that we can uh, read, and because I love the book, Becoming Psychic, this is something that I would recommend everyone to, to read. It's very down-to-earth, easy to understand, not easy like easy baby, but it's not, you know, when you hear the word neuropsychics and all of that, you're like, oh, my God, is this going to be, you know, above my, my brain <laughs> capacities? It's going to be all um, big words that I cannot grasp? And no, this is something that is understandable. And also the, the exercises and the techniques that you comment throughout the book is something that, Everyone that is interested in the psychic world, in the paranormal, healings, mediumship, it's almost like you are able to confirm 
again and again that there's more than the science can explain. Yeah, and, and that's been, for me, that's been the fun part. You know, this has been a giant exploration. And, you know, the more people I meet, the more experiences I witness uh, and experience for myself. And then, of course, you know, having some science to start backing it up, you know, looking at their brains and starting to get, uh, I think, an understanding of, of maybe what's going on here, at least in some cases, and, and how the brain is involved or not involved, as the case may be, with, you know, with some of this, uh, with some of these abilities. You know, and I love that part when um, talking about the abilities and how your brain is involved. I remember when I was reading your book, some of the findings that you would um, kind of pin and point some parts of our brain that are, get activated when uh, people would do mediumship of psychics. And I would love you if you would share your experience on when you find that and what does that mean? What does that prove? And how can we uh, just, uh, now that you have it in, on mine, how is that important to learn in the, in the world that we're starting, this new era? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good question, right? Because on, on one level, it's like, okay, that's kind of cool that you're able to find these certain brain regions that are involved. Uh, but in the big picture, who cares? What's, what's the relevance? And uh, so, you know, first let me just kind of, I'll just briefly mention a couple of the, the things that we see consistently. But before I do that, I just want to mention that, you know, obviously there's a lot of individual variability too. Um, so even though there are some brain patterns that show up relatively consistently, there's a lot of differences between the mediums that I've studied as well. And I think that's important just to recognize that we're all individuals and the way that we get to this space of tapping in or whatever you want to call it may look a little different for different people. Um, but with that said, I think two of the, the areas that I would highlight, one of them is an area in the right back corner of the brain. So it's the, the technical name is the superior parietal lobule, but really you can just kind of think about the, 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 the back corner on the right side. And this part of the brain is very interesting because it shows up a lot in mediumship, especially mediumship, spirit communication work. And what we often see in this part of the brain when people are engaging in those kinds of practices is that this part of the brain actually shuts down. So it, it gets overloaded with slow brain waves. And from a brainwave perspective, when that happens, what, what that means to us is that it's kind of not doing its normal job anymore. Uh, and so this becomes important when we think about, well, what does that part of the brain do? And so normally that part of the brain is involved in identity and creating boundaries. So essentially creating a, a psychological structure that says, I'm Jeff and I live in this body and I'm separate from you and you live in your body. 
and we're all little individuals walking around on planet Earth. And so that part of the brain, that's kind of what it's supposed to do, is kind of create this separateness, this identity. And so when these mediums are able to turn that part of the brain off temporarily, I think what's happening is it's allowing the ability to connect to something else because we don't have that, those rigid boundaries anymore, at least for a little while. And so this seems really relevant, right? Somehow we have to be able to get that part of the brain out of the way uh, that's creating separateness. It's sort of a false idea of separateness. And when we get the, when we get the brain to be quiet for a second, at least that part, then we can connect to something bigger, you know, whether it's communicating with, uh, you know, a deceased loved one or a spirit guide or whatever it might be. And, you know, because we know, and here's where I think the relevance is, is if we know that that's a consistent pattern, well, then the question becomes, well, how can we learn to temporarily shut that area off to perhaps enhance our own abilities or people who maybe feel like they don't have these abilities how can they learn to tap in? And, you know, there may be ways that we can facilitate that since we know what the brain is doing. So there may be meditation strategies or technology to help us kind of get there, if that makes sense. So, Jeff, let me ask you, is it okay that I call you, Jeff? Um, oh, yeah. Instead of Dr. Trent? Let me ask you something. When when you first identify that superior parietal level, which is in the back, and you were doing your research, it would light up in your machines, right? Which when you were seeing those people, the mediums or ones um, using their abilities, it would light up as in using that, or it would show as it's not using that, like. How did you identify that that part was exactly the one they were using or not using in a machine? Yeah, it's a good question, and it's a little it's a little tricky um, because um, you know the, the technology that I use to look at brain patterns is uh, an EEG, and so I use a 19 channel EEG, which is measuring brainwave activity, and you know, so we, we have 19 areas that we can look at at the same time and see what's happening. And usually what I will do is measure the brain at a baseline. So just when they're sitting doing nothing or sitting having a regular conversation but not doing a reading. And then measure it again when they're doing their work so I can compare them and see what the difference is. What, what parts of the brain change and how significantly do they change and, and in which brain waves? Because that's the other part is the brain is always making a variety of different frequencies. So, you know, we've all heard of delta and theta and alpha and beta, gamma. Mm -hmm. the, the different brain waves are just different frequencies. And the brain is making all of them all the time. But it's sort of a question of, well, how much of each one is being generated? Because that has something to do with our state of consciousness. And so what we see with... Uh, these mediums is that there's usually an increase of like delta and theta, which are the slowest brain waves. So on the one hand, when you're monitoring that, it's going to show activation. I'm saying in air quotes, there's an mm -hmm. increase of activity in delta and theta. But because they're slow brain waves, 
we're not interpreting it as being active. Because there's a bunch of slow brain waves, we're interpreting it as being inactive. So if you think about it this way, you know, one of the primary brainwave patterns you see when we go to sleep is delta, right? So people are kind of in this delta brainwave state when you're in a deep sleep. And when you're falling asleep, you're kind of in a theta state or, you know, when you're daydreaming. And so, you know, the fact that all of this delta and theta is, is coming up suggests that that part of the brain really isn't really doing, <laughs> it's not doing its normal job. So it's a, little, it's a little confusing unless you're used to kind of thinking in terms of brain waves. There's more of the activity, but it indicates that it's deactivated. Okay, so I understand. Now, can I, by intention, ask that part of my brain to do that? Well, that's an interesting, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Because... Um, you know, how do you get a part of your brain to turn off? Uh, you know, we're good at turning parts of our brain on, but how do you turn it off? And so really, I think the, the trick, I think there's two, well, at least from my perspective, there's two ways that, that I know of to do that. And one of them is through different types of meditation. And so there's a few different ways that this could work, but one of my favorite approaches right now with meditation is using meditations that are geared toward uh, experiencing connection with energies outside of yourself, because really that's what we're, we're doing when we shut that part of the brain down. And so by practicing that, you're, you're exercising those, you know, you're exercising that area. You're getting it to be more flexible so that you can move in and out of those states. So there's a, there's a meditation on one of our websites, uh, psychicmindscience.com, and it's called the Net of Indra. And in that meditation, that's exactly what people are, are doing, right? It's kind of connecting to this net of energy that connects all consciousness and all aspects of consciousness throughout all time. And so you're kind of going through this guided meditation process of experiencing that. So meditations like that, I think, can be really useful to start to shift that brain area in that way. The other way that you can do it is by using technology. And I use various brain modulation technologies, or you might think of them as brain hacking technologies, things that stimulate the brain and help shift them into certain patterns. And you know, you can do this with light and sound. You can do it with low power, pulsed electromagnetic frequencies, things like this. And so essentially, if you have the right technology, you can put some sensors on that area and stimulate those slow frequencies there. Um, I've actually been, for my own practice, I've been using something called transcranial direct current stimulation, which it sounds complicated, but it's actually not. It's, it's a, there's two pads, and uh, there's a very, very, very low amount of electrical charge going between the two pads. And one of them uh, increases the likelihood that your brain is going to fire. So the, if you place it somewhere on your head and you run the, the program, it increases the likelihood that, that there's going to be more activity there. The other pad decreases the likelihood that the brain will fire. 
And so one of my practices I've been doing in the morning is putting on uh, this device and putting the deactivation pad on that spot on the right parietal lobe Mm -hmm. and then doing that meditation at the same time. So I'm encouraging the brain to be quiet over there, but then I'm also doing something active in the meditation to facilitate that. And, and Jeff, if the right one is the one that um, does that, what is the counterpart, the left part doing? Well, that's a good question. It, it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to, to play as big of a role in this. And, I, you know, I don't have a good explanation for that, except that one of the other patterns that we see a lot with psychics and mediums and healers is this shift of energy over to the right hemisphere away from the left hemisphere and you know sometimes things become more active on the right side sometimes they become deactivated like we just talked about with that that spot in the back of the head Um, and I think one reason for this is that the left hemisphere tends to be more language oriented and because of that it's more linear it's more analytic so, you know, as soon as we start applying language to something, then we, we've started interpreting it. And we've, mm-hmm. we've, actually, we've actually started taking it away from the reality of what it is. Um, so one of the things that I think is fascinating is that so many religious traditions say that, you know, you can't, you can't talk about God. You can't describe God. And anytime you try to, you've actually limited God because yeah. God is limitless. And so you can't use language to talk about God. Now, we do anyway, right? But as soon as you do, you've limited what God is. And so I think about that because it applies to other areas. As soon as we start talking about something, we've limited it. We've changed it from what its true nature is. And so I think for a lot of these abilities, we have to get over into our right hemisphere, which is more experiential. It's more like true mindfulness of being present with what is what is there, but without putting additional interpretations on it. Hmm. I, I was just wondering, um, you know what the light language is? I I I'm I'm aware of it. I've I've not studied it. Because that is supposed. I don't do it. I have heard it. I have seen it. I have. Um, and one of the things that you, the light language is supposed to help you with is to bypass that rational part of your brain because the light language doesn't have any relationship with any word or something that would structurize it. So, and I don't know if it's only a delusion that we are doing ourselves of using something that makes sounds when, when there's something that we cannot explain, and now we call it light languages. And, and it's pretty much the same determination as words, but they are supposed, or what they say, is that it's, it's like a bypass of that rational mind. So I wonder yeah. if you were able to... To measure that, what side of the of the brain gets activated there? Yeah, th- that would be that would be curious to see what happens with somebody, you know, connecting to a light language. Uh, you know, I've had some similar uh, but different 
opportunities to study some of those things. And, you know, it's funny because sometimes you will see some language areas light up, you know, because <laughs> even if it's not a language that we understand or interpret, you're still talking, right? You're still using words or, or writing either way. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, that may engage some of the language-based centers. Um, but it's interesting because I think, you know, most mediums that I've studied are are doing a, you know, they're doing a verbal reading. So they're getting information and then they're talking about what they're, the information they're getting. They're saying it out loud, which obviously involves language. And, you know, one of the things that I've heard over and over again from mediums and psychics is that the key for them is to not filter. That's just whatever information they get, they just say it. You know, even if, you know, they don't try to understand it. And so I think it's kind of a similar process, right? I think that's why they, they're able to do that. Like, well, how do they use language when, you know, theoretically language is getting in the way? Yeah. But, but if you're not, if you, if you, if you're just allowing the language to move through you or allowing the words to move through you without interpretation, I think that's the key. You know, don't interpret, don't create another narrative about it. Just let the information flow through and just say whatever it is. Um, You know, and so maybe that's similar to the light language, right? It's like, it's just letting the information come through, but without trying to make sense out of it in that moment. Yeah, and, and that is a difficult part because, you know, when you are doing a healing or a psychic reading or something, your mind, it's there. It's like the most difficult thing to do is to switch it off because it's always, even if it's in the back and observing what's going on, it's trying to figure out like, oh, my God, what is happening? Why is this thing coming up? What does yeah. that mean? And and in that rational mind that is always observing is the most difficult thing to do. Yeah, yeah. It's another thing I've been thinking about with, you know, mediums and, and this issue of language because, you know, you're right, right? Like if you're doing a reading for somebody, uh, you know, yes, you have to let the information come through, but then you have to check with the person. Does this make sense to you? Does it, you know, do you, can you connect to this? Does this relate so you have to switch back into your rational mind uh, to sort of like see if it fits, see if you're on the right track, uh, you know, uh, for the person you're doing the reading for. And so another aspect that I've kind of thought a lot about is that maybe one of the things that's happening is that mediums and psychics are really good at switching back and forth to the left and right, that they're very flexible. And so you know, they can be in the right hemisphere, get the information, and then with the left hemisphere, check it out. How does that fit? And then go right back to the right hemisphere, right? So there's this kind of flexibility and fluidity uh, between shifting back and forth that maybe people who don't identify as psychic or mediums, you know, would have a harder time doing. You know, they might get stuck in one or the other. And, and Jeff, you're talking about um, your work with psychic mediums, healers, all of these um, beautiful beings that usually I have as host of my shows. And what have been those most fascinating moments in your study that it, it 
that just dropped your jaw, that you're like, <laughs> oh, my God, I can't believe this just happened. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've seen a few things that have, have dropped my jaw, but, um, you know, probably the, the most dramatic was uh, actually just last year. I've, you know, I've been doing this for about 12 years now, uh, you know, of, of looking at healers and, and mediums and all kinds of different practices, you know, psychokinesis and whatever. Um, but just last year, I had the opportunity to work with three different uh, autistic young adults, uh, teenagers, young adults, and all three of them are nonverbal. They communicate by pointing to a letter board. So they, they, they're, they're very bright. Uh, they just aren't able to use verbal language. And so they have to point to a letter board to spell things. And in all three cases, uh, they were basically 100% telepathic with their primary caregiver. And we tested this over and over and over again. And, you know, some of the things that the very first experiment that, that I witnessed was what, you know, made my jaw drop because I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. <laughs> and, you know, the way the research was set up was, you know, we had a random number generator on, a, on an iPad that, you know, you just create a range of numbers. You say, oh, okay, pick a number between you know, 111 and 999 or whatever the case may be. And of course, you know, that's a lot of options. Uh, and, you know, so hit the button and it picks a number. And, you know, I don't remember what it was off the top of my head, but we'll say it was 492. And so showed that number to the mom and then closed the iPad. And the mom just put her index finger on her teenage daughter's forehead and immediately her teenage daughter pointed to 492 on the number board wow. and you know and this was just over and over and over and over three digits four digits flash cards uh pulling a book off of the shelf opening it to a random page pointing to a word <laughs> showing mom the word spell the word perfectly didn't matter if it was in their native language of Spanish or if it was in English. Uh, basically, unless we really messed with the format, 100% accuracy. And, and so I've seen three kids do this now, and they were all nonverbal autistic. And so, you know, when you see something like that firsthand, you know, because I've seen some really cool stuff, but yeah. how often do you see somebody who's 100% accurate? No. No. Me? And that was something so specific, right? Something so specific. Um, you know, the, 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 wow. the, one, uh, the one kid, you know, he wrote an entire sentence that, that his mom was looking at in a book, you know, wrote the entire sentence. And so, you know, it's almost like they can, like, see right into the other person's mind, like, instantaneously. It's just right there. They have instant access. And just let me ask you something. The parents knew they could do no. that, or this was also blind, mind-blowing for them? Well, it, it was certainly mind-blowing for them when they discovered it because they didn't know immediately. In fact, in, in, I, I'm pretty sure in all of the cases, they had, the parents had no idea until you know, they, they taught their 
son or daughter how to use a letter board because otherwise there would be no way to know that they, had, uh-huh. that they were getting this information. But then when they learned to use a letter board and communicate that way, then all of a sudden they'd start you know, writing out things that it was like, wait a minute, how did you know that? Right? Like, you, okay. Um, you know, and it would be some random stuff. And, and so then they would you know, eventually start going like, wait a minute, I think they know what's, go- I think they know what's in my head. So, you know, then start experimenting and trying some, some games and some tests. And, you know, and then, you know, the work I was doing was with a, a psychiatrist who's been studying this for many years. And, you know, and that was interesting, too, because, uh, you know, she's been doing this for, you know, a decade or whatever. I'm not sure exactly how long. And so she's seen lots and lots of kids do this. So for her, this was no big deal. You know, she was kind of like, okay. Yeah, all right. Um, another one. Another one, you know, and it was like, whoa. Uh, you know, for me, it was just mind-blowing. But it was funny because after I did the second or third one, I was starting to get kind of like, okay, all right. Yeah, you know, you, uh, it's funny how quickly you just get used to it, right? Uh, yeah, it becomes normal. Yeah, it becomes normal. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, you can read my mind. You know, actually, one of the, one of the young adults uh, – because, you know, most of them, they're really, really good with their primary caregiver and then uh, maybe not as strong with other people. But uh, the third uh, young man that I got to work with, it didn't seem to matter who the person was. He could, you know, he could read, you know, anybody, anything. You just asked him and, you know, he could he could do it. Uh, and so that was, you know, very impressive. Uh you know, and so again, it really makes you know when you see that, you know, what do you do from a skeptic's standpoint? You know, how do you how do you deal with that? Because, you know, it's very clear at that point that they have access to information that they shouldn't have access to. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and so clearly, consciousness is not stuck in your brain. Um, you know, and I think it's because of what we already talked about that because they don't use language the way that verbal individuals use language, I think it allows them this additional access. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Now, uh, Jack, going back to your research, Becoming Psychic, your book and everything, and also tying with that, that you were dis- you, are, you have been discovering all of these things. And what did that ignite inside of you of doing with it? Like, like you're finding all of these things, is, and as a researcher, you could just say, okay, don't sound, but it, it ignited something inside of you saying, okay, so what am I going to do with this that I'm finding? And what would be that? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, you know, the, the further down this path I go, the, the more interesting and exciting it is, you know, because, you know, th- there's more and more sort of evidence that this is real. And so it's, it's becoming more real for me. So some of it is my own journey, right, of, of really fully accepting uh, the reality that consciousness is this very large thing that we can tap into all kinds of information. And I think there's a difference between thinking that that idea, right? Like if somebody asked me, do you think that consciousness extends beyond the body and connect to everything in the universe? I'd say, yes, I, I believe that that's true. 
Um, but do I sort of feel it in my body? Do I know it, right, in this kind of really intuitive, automatic way? And not always, right? Like I'm still sort of working on that. So I think part of this for me, my my own you know, the journey and the exploration of what I'm kind of looking at, you know, for my own understanding and my own development, you know, spiritually or psychically or however you want to look at it. Um, but also it's just exciting. You know, it's kind of like this frontier of, you know, exploring the mind that, you know, we, we barely understand, maybe we don't understand at all. We're just, we're still kind of floundering around trying to figure out how this works. And, you know, to me, that's exciting. You know, I, I want to look at the things that we, we don't understand. Uh, and, you know, I think this fits squarely in that camp. And um, yes, you were mentioning something about um, brain hacking technology and how we can delve into these technologies and the concept of nudging the brain towards heightened psychic abilities is very intriguing. Are there um, workshops or ways that you are sharing this with people so we can learn how to use all of this information that you're finding out? Yeah, yeah. So I kind of mentioned earlier some of the technologies, right? You know, the, the brain stimulation technologies. And some of those are a little trickier to utilize or to get access to. But one of the devices that I use a lot, it's probably my favorite technology to use in this work, is called audiovisual entrainment. And it's basically a pair of glasses and headphones that either connect to your computer or connect to a a little standalone box that that runs them and the glasses have lights built into each eye set so there's four lights kind of like in a square formation on each eye set and so you can choose different programs and essentially what happens is depending on the program you choose the lights flicker on and off at a certain frequency and then there's tones that match it that are in the headphones and so you put these on and you close your eyes and you can still see the light patterns and, and um, dynamics, you know, behind your eyelids. And what it does is the, the, the frequency of the light pulls the brain into the same frequency. And so what, what, what that means is, so if you're flashing the lights on and off, let's say six times a second, well, the brain starts matching that pattern. So the brain starts firing six times a second, which is actually in the theta brainwave range. So essentially, you can pull the brain into different brainwave patterns. And, you know, this becomes relevant for us with psychic development because we know that theta and gamma seem to be the two brainwaves that are the most involved with this work. They show up more often than anything else. And so we can use these glasses to essentially help nudge the brain into that, that type of a state. So it, it's great to use that as sort of a, you know, you can think of it as training wheels or you can think of it as something to uh, speed up the process or make it easier to tap in. You know, we've heard kind of all of those things from folks. And, you know, because of the way the technology works, we can actually 
you know, do one thing with the left hemisphere of the brain and something else with the right hemisphere. So we could shut down the left hemisphere and we could activate the right hemisphere at the same time because of the way the visual field works. And so there's a lot of different applications with this tech. And so what we've started doing is teaching these four-week online courses. So as part of the course, people get access to this equipment uh, and then they own it, you know, so they can use it forever. And then each week we talk about different brain regions and brain waves, you know, do some case studies, talk about that kind of stuff. And then we get into one of the specific protocols, one of the approaches using these glasses, and then we experiment with it and try different things and try some different psychic activities or remote viewing or whatever and see, you know, do the glasses, do the light and sound stimulation, does that, does that seem to help? And, and how can that help us tune in? And so then, you know, people get to practice with it for a whole week before we meet again, and then we try something new. And so the idea is that by the end of the course, hopefully everybody has found one or more approaches that really work for them. Because again, everybody's different, right? So we have to try a few things and see what's going to be the best approach. Uh, but that's been a lot of fun. I think we've taught it now, I don't know, six or seven times. And uh, yeah, I really enjoy that class. In fact, we've started offering an extension of two additional sessions after the four because there's just so much, you know, so many things to investigate. And if, if I want to sign up for those, do I go to psychicmindscience.com? Uh, yeah, that's where we've got all of our classes and, and, you know, workshops and retreats and those kind of things listed for, for this work. Yep. And let me ask you something. This is so we can become more psychic or can it also help, let's say, if I have memory issues, if I have other type of interest, um, I want clarity, I want other things and not precisely just uh, psychic abilities. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question because actually this technology, the audiovisual entrainment, you know, I've been using it in my clinical practice as a psychologist for the last 20-something years and that had nothing to do with psychic or mediumship abilities. Because, you know, we know that when people are in certain kinds of, have certain kinds of mental health concerns, right, anxiety mm -hmm. or depression or ADHD or whatever, there are certain brainwave patterns that are fairly consistent. And so we can use this tech to nudge people into something that's more balanced. And, you know, it very often helps. And people use it for sleep. They use it for pain. They use it for headaches. Because, um, again, you know, you're able to, shift your brain into into where you want it to be right so if you wake up in the morning and you didn't sleep well and you're feeling kind of foggy and you've got a busy day well you could you know use like a uh, like a brain booster kind of a protocol and speed your brain up a little bit so they're, they're even using that for uh you know like age-related cognitive decline as, as people get older and if their brain feels like it's slowing down there's some memory issues or focus or other problems, you can kind of speed the brain back up. And, you know, very often it, it helps. So anyway, I'm a big fan because it's just very versatile. You can use it for a lot of different things, not just psychic development. And um, another thing that I wanted to ask you is, do you
Yeah, actually, the book is available pretty much anywhere that you can buy books. So obviously, it's on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, uh, pretty much pretty much anywhere. Um, it's also available on Kindle and Audible, and so um, you know, pretty much anywhere that you could find a book, uh, it, it's there. Thank you. And, you know, many times when we are talking about all of these um, psychic or um, different kind of in-case abilities, we are talking about, um, are, are we also talking about a kind of um, attitude that people should have, or it's preferably a certain type of attitude that will help you into encasing this potential within you? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting one. And, and you know, I would say the answer seems to be yes. And, you know, in the course of, of writing the book, you know, I got to work with a lot of different psychics and mediums and interview them. And, of course, I'm still doing additional research uh, that allows me to have all these conversations. And so you start to see these themes of of what they talk about and and I've experienced for myself these kind of attitudes that seem to be helpful in this work and you know I think we could summarize them at least roughly as and not necessarily in this order but relax being relaxed learning how to settle yourself right uh, shifting your focus and that could mean a lot of different things but you know, if we're just paying attention the way that we normally pay attention and sort of normal waking consciousness, that's probably not going to help you get into a psychic state. You have to learn how to shift your attention in certain ways. Uh, connecting. So that kind of gets to the beginning of the conversation and that part of the brain, that, that God spot in the back right quadrant, you know, learning to connect to things outside of ourselves, increasing our empathy, um, listening is the fourth one. Uh, and I'm not necessarily talking about listening with the ears, right, but listening to that subtle, those little subtle voices or the subtle images, the things that are easy to miss uh, if you're not really paying close attention. And so, you know, really tuning in to, to that more subtle information. And then the last one is trusting, right? So, and again, we kind of, implied this with, you know, kind of that idea of not screening the information that comes through. But, you know, so you're listening, but then you're also trusting it. It's like, okay, even if I don't understand this, even if it doesn't make sense to me, I, I'm going to trust that it's there for a reason, that it's meaningful, and, and that it's important to the other person or that it'll make sense later. So the five attitudes that I think are really kind of critical, relax, focus, connection, listening, and trust. Yeah, and sometimes through our lives, and one or two of those gets in your way of continuing that connection. Either you are not trusting or you are not listening. So those are good, good, good um, attitudes to remember. And also, in, one of, in your book, you mentioned the role of meditation, and 
Do you believe that meditation is the same meditation that we were taught before, that where you would sit for hours and hours and clear your mind and that's the way to find meditation? Or do you see that it has changed, that now meditation means something different? And what it and if it does, what have you found in your research that meditation means for the modern people today? Yeah, so, you know, yeah, meditation is a really big umbrella term, right, that can mean all kinds of different things depending on who you're talking to and and what definitions they use and what their culture is. You know, there's, there's so many different ways to think about what that means. Uh, for me, the, the, the way that we've kind of used it, so my, my, other, my other hat is directing the Neuro Meditation Institute, and looking at different styles of meditation and, and how those uh, affect the brain. And really, you can kind of break it down simply into kind of four different styles, maybe five different styles of meditation, depending on how you're using your attention and what your intention is. So, you know, there are, there are different approaches based on kind of what it is you're trying to do. Um, and so, for example, you could, you know, everybody's familiar with a focus meditation where you're, uh, you know, paying attention to your breath or whatever, and then the mind gets distracted and you bring it back. And, you know, so that's good for certain things. It's good for activating your frontal lobe, right? Because it takes a lot of frontal lobe activation to hold your attention like that. It's also good for quieting down parts of your brain that are involved in thinking about yourself, because if you're doing if you're doing that meditation correctly, you're not thinking about yourself, you're just focusing on your breathing. So each meditation approach has its benefits, but they're each a little bit different. And so, you know, I don't think you necessarily have to sit for two hours at a time or even 30 minutes to get benefit. The evidence is pretty clear that consistency is more important than putting in hours and hours and hours. Of course, if you put in hours and hours, you know, you're going to get more benefit, but it seems to be more important to do it on a consistent basis. And so I think from this, you know, because of the topic of this conversation, you know, we can think about how meditation and different types of meditation could help us get into these different, uh, you know, brain patterns. And really what I think it, it, it's about is flexibility. And that's what, you know, you can kind of think of meditation as mental training, you're, it's like going to the gym for your brain. You're teaching your brain how to get into different states of awareness so that it becomes easier to do that, right? So it's like practice. I mean, we call it that, meditation practice. So it's practice of helping the brain be flexible, learning how to pay attention differently. You know, we can even relate it back to those attitudes we were talking about, right? Learning to focus, learning to connect, learning to listen, all of those can be elements of the meditation depending on what you're trying to develop. And so I think that's where meditation can be a really important component of psychic exploration or psychic development is using it as a tool to help, you know, kind of help the brain work with you for these skills rather than work against you. And Dr. Terence, we usually have a lot of listeners that are psychics, mediums, healers, in your studies, are you in need of people 
for your studies that if they are interested, they can contact you? Yeah, good question. Um, sometimes, right? I mean, we're, yeah, I'm usually working on, you know, one or two or three studies at, at the same time. And, you know, it, it always fluctuates. I mean, right now we're in the process of doing a study looking at the ability to influence a random number generator uh, with your mind, right? So from a distance. And so, uh, you know, that's been a lot of fun. And, you know, we could probably still use a handful of participants for that. Um, but, you know, usually what I suggest for people, if, if they're a psychic or medium or a healer or, or some, have some other interesting ability, is to, you know, contact us and, and write us a short email and let us know that they're interested in research and kind of what their, their skills are. And then that way, when we start other studies, you know, we can kind of go to our list and reach out and let people know about kind of what we're doing. And so if, if any of the listeners are interested in that, you could write us an email to info at psychicmindscience.com. And, you know, and then that way we can be in touch uh, as soon as there's a good opportunity. Great. Thank you. So as we wrap up this enlightening conversation with Dr. Turan, considering your extensive exploration into the realms of psychic abilities and the mind, what piece of advice or insight would you offer to our audience a nugget of your wisdom that could inspire them on their own journey of self-discovery and unlocking their extraordinary potential? <laughs> That's a big question, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yes. So good yeah, luck with yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I know a lot of the, the listeners are already already identify as, as having psychic abilities and mediums, but maybe there's others that, that maybe are just interested. And I think, I think one thing I would say to those folks who maybe don't feel like they are psychic or don't have those abilities is the more I study this and the more I explore for myself, the more convinced I am that we all have this potential, that it's not just something that a select few of people are able to do. True, maybe there's a select few people that are really good at this, and it might be more natural. Uh, but I think we all have this capability. And, and so if this is something that you're interested in exploring, just wanting to be encouraging, right? That it's like, you know, keep, it, it, you know, it may take work because in some ways you have to get your brain out of the way. And that takes a lot of training. Uh, you know, you've had years and years and years for your brain to learn to do what it's doing now. So it may take a while to undo some of that. So I think the first thing I would say is just, uh, you know, being encouraging in that way. And then to the psychics and the mediums and, and the healers out there who are already really tapped into this work, uh, you know, I would just encourage them to, A, continue their work, but also, you know, try to connect with other scientists and you know, as much as is comfortable and is appropriate, being outspoken about what you're able to do, because I feel like it's important for the world to hear this and to recognize that, that this stuff is, is going on and that it's real. And the more we talk about it, the harder it is to deny it. And it's one reason that, that I'm, I'm kind of doing this work, even though, you know, I get some pushback from certain areas of the scientific community. I think it's important 
to talk about this because otherwise people are going to think it, it, it doesn't exist. Um, so I think those would be the two things I'll, I'll stick with at least for now. Thank you. And I do believe, uh, Dr. Sharon, that the world is changing and science is not as square as it was. So there's people like you that are open up, opening up to this area. And I see it everywhere. Like the shows on, on TV, there's a lot of evidence that at least the topic, at least the wording, a lot of things that before you would never hear, now it's part of the reality. So, so now is the time, I guess. I think so, and I would agree with you. It does seem like uh, some of the attitudes are starting to shift, and people are more open to this. And so I think that's encouraging. Yes, it is. So is there anything else that I haven't asked and that, that you would like to mention today before we say goodbye? No, I think we've had a pretty full conversation. <laughs> Yeah, it was a lovely opportunity to uh, get, have you here, doctor. And any time in the future that you want to come up, please just send us an email, and you're always welcome. Oh, well, thank you very much. That would be great. And thank you for being here with us. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And remember, you can replay this episode free any time in the future, the same link and invite everybody to follow us. And thank you, doctors. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye.